Hi, I'm Annalisa Mackey, CEO of the PAS Program LLC, which are the publishers of the award-winning PAS Social Emotional Learning Curriculum for preschool to grade five, the author of the Evidence-Informed Emozi SEL Program for grades six through 12, and the co-author of the soon-to-be-released book, The Social Emotional Classroom, A New Way to Nurture Students and Understand the Brain. Welcome to the first episode of Social Emotional Us, a podcast for educators, parents, and anyone interested in improving the lives of children through social emotional learning. Our first season focuses on overcoming the effects of social isolation and distance learning during the COVID-19 pandemic before going back into the classroom. To learn more about the PAS program, visit our website at pazprogram.com. Our goal for this podcast is to bring teachers, education leaders, psychologists, and other thought leaders together to share our experiences with student development, mental health, and wellness. Today, I'm joined by life and business coach, Andrea Zawoski. Andrea holds a Master of Science in Health Psychology, as well as certifications in Applied Positive Psychology, Applied Positive Psychology Coaching, Positive Education Certification, and the Bounce Back Better Program, which is a resiliency training program from the internationally recognized Flourishing Center. In this episode, we'll talk about the effects of social distancing and isolation during quarantine and the pandemic, as well as tactics to employ with your students or in your own life to improve mental health and create a positive mindset. Hi, and welcome, Andrea. Thanks for taking the time to chat with me today. We've known each other for, gosh, almost 20 years. And uh, we've had a lot of really interesting conversations about parenting, about education, about teaching, about psychology. And I'm really excited about today's conversation because other people are going to get a chance to hear about it as well. So welcome and thank you for agreeing to do the podcast. I appreciate it. Oh, it's my honor. Andrea, if you could just tell us, give us a little bit of your background, that would be great for the audience. Yeah, sure. So when my children went into university, I knew that I needed to make a life transition. And so I did a deep dive into psychology, which is really where my passion is. And I discovered positive psychology. And that was really exciting for me. So I did a bachelor's degree in And then I went on to do a a master's degree in health psychology with a strong, strong focus on on positive psychology and in particular how positive emotion affected the brain and behavior. Um, And then I did a really deep dive into positive psychology and did certification in applied positive psychology, um, certification in positive education certification in resiliency training in the Bounce Back Better program and positive psychology, like applied positive psychology coaching training. And, and the, the lights went on. It was like the sky opened up and the angels started singing. And, you know, I sort of realized that this is what I was put on this earth to do um, because I really love what, what brings me the most joy is serving people and being there for people mm-hmm. and enhancing and empowering other people's lives. So that's how I really sort of developed into a coach. Mm-hmm. That's great. I know um, you mentioned a lot about positive psychology. And I think where I was exposed to that was in my master's as well. And I was writing a paper on uh, what, 
you know, why kids, whether, whether children were happy in school and happiness in school. And that really uh, led me to finding out more about you know, the flourishing and all that kind of stuff. So that to me, I really, I really resonate with what you're saying there as well, because I think with psychology, we in the past has been spent an awful lot of time on what is wrong with us. But what I really, really love about positive psychology is really about what's right with us. And, and how do we do more of that? So exciting, right? I mean, do we actually get to look at what's right with us? What are our strengths? What motivates us? What energizes us? What moves us forward as opposed to everything that's wrong? Right? All the stuff that's holding us back and the negative stuff, right? Yeah. So what we know from the research now is that like focusing on the problems is all about blame. And in order to move forward, in order to achieve and gain success, we need to we need to focus on what's right. There is as much to be learned from what's right as there is to be learned from all the mistakes we make. But if we focus on all the mistakes, we're not moving forward, right? So success is about yeah. focusing on what's good, what's right, what propels us forward. Where does that forward movement and energy come from? It doesn't come from sitting on what's wrong. That is a really great point in jumping off and thinking about what we're going to be talking about today, right? Because we want to talk a little bit about overcoming the effects of the pandemic and, you know, the challenges that um, we all face with living in, in a quarantine environment. And that's been a lot longer than I think most of us ever thought was going to happen. In some cases around the world, it's still happening. So what's really interesting is, you know, we've all, I think, to a certain extent, dealt with this situation in many, 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 many different ways. I know when this first all started happening, we were uh, self-isolating. I had kept a running tally of how many days we had been in self-isolation. And I think I got to 182 by the time I stopped because it was just too depressing to continue. It almost felt like, you know, people in jail marking off the days, right? Which again is the opposite of what we were just talking about with positive psychology is looking out to the negative and what's what, as opposed to the positive, what would make things better. So, you know, the isolation has compounded a lot of existing problems. Parents are concerned, you know, about their children falling behind both academically uh, developmentally and socially. What has been your experience dealing with the clients that you have had and what are you hearing? Yeah, so so all of that is from an evolutionary perspective, we are wired to be social, right? Mm-hmm. If you were alone in the savanna, you were going to get eaten by a tiger, right? So evolutionarily, we are wired to to be in a group. That's that's what helps us survive. So isolation is tremendously stressful on the human being, right? We don't, we don't even realize it, how stressful it is. You compound that with a lack of uncertainty because certainty is something that also 
or uncertainty, I should say, triggers our threat response, right? We like mm -hmm. to know that the sun is going to rise tomorrow. We need to be able to predict, right? That's what our brain does. It predicts and then it solves problems for us, right? It gives us solutions. And when we're in a pandemic and we're isolated from others and we're not certain about what's happening, that causes mm -hmm. a tremendous amount of stress. And, and then if you, if you look at the youth, particularly in teenagers, but also in younger children as well, they're, they're confined to their home. So not only do they have uncertainty about what's happening and what, what the future is going to look like, they have isolation when they need it most, right, growing up. And then they're losing some of their autonomy because they're forced right. to be with their parents all the time. Right. And that's not, that's not the natural progression of what childhood looks like. Right. So, so absolutely we're going to see more depression, anxiety, stress, burnout, you know, not, not just from right. the kids, but, but across the board. Across the board. Agreed. Agreed. And I think that we hear about that from all, you know, and that kind of brings me to the next question, actually. We've, a few weeks ago, there was an article in Vogue that was talking about um, post-pandemic stress disorder. So I'll just give you a little quote about what that was all about. It says, according to the World Health Organization, the COVID-19 pandemic has caused, ma caused mass trauma on a large scale, larger scale than the Second World War, and the mental health toll of the coronavirus pandemic will last for many years to come. This trauma is what some medical professionals are calling post-pandemic stress disorder, a form of COVID-19-induced PTSD. While PPSD is not a yet recognized mental health condition, some experts strongly believe that it should be. But yet, The Atlantic is reporting something entirely different and talking about how we're more resilient than people we think we are. So I'll give you a little quote from that. We combed through, they combed, the Atlantic combed through a thousand studies that examined hundreds of thousands of people from nearly 100 countries. This research measured many variables related to mental health, including anxiety, depression, and death by suicide, as well as life satisfaction. Early in the pandemic, their team observed that these studies, in these studies, what the media was reporting a level of anxiety and depression, as well as broader psychological dis distress climbed dramatically, as did the number of people experiencing clinically significant forms of these conditions. But as spring turned to summer, something remarkable happened. Average levels of depression, anxiety, and distress began to fall. Some data sets even suggest that overall psychological distress returned to near pre-pandemic levels by early summer 2020. Then a third article in the New York Times, which was making the rounds in May and June, talked about how we're all languishing instead of flourishing. So I guess my question to you, Andrea, is this, which is it? Are we super depressed? Are we doing really <laughs> awesome? Or is it like some kind of middle ground area? Like what's going on? Because people are trying to figure this all out. So are we, is it, is it a big concern? Is it not a big concern? What's, what do you think? You know, I'm sorry to say this, but I think it's all of the above. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> so, you know, 
they're not, the studies are not wrong when they say that levels of anxiety and depression and stress and burnout have gone up because of course Mm -hmm. that's going to happen. You also have to look at those studies carefully and understand what those time, what the timing is and how large those studies are, right? When you, when you look at what Vogue was saying, they're talking about what the media was reporting, not what necessarily the scientific evidence was. So are we very resilient? Absolutely. Human beings are incredibly resilient, right? And, you know, we don't, we don't actually have all the studies and evidence about, about PTSD on World War II because we didn't have the understanding that we had then. So to say that the levels were lower than they are now, yeah. I think is inaccurate because we simply didn't have the research. Okay. Right? That's, so, right. so t- you know, on a global level, we have seen pandemics before and human beings have survived them. We have seen terrible, horrific natural disasters like the tsunamis and we have survived them. We have gone through wars and horrible, horrible things and survived them. And some people, you know, yes, get PTSD, but some people grow from them also. And so when we look at through positive psychology, why do some people grow and become stronger and better versus the people that languish, right? So are we languishing now? I would say, yes, we are languishing now because we're not thriving. We're not getting out there. We're not allowed to be social. We're not, we're not doing all the things that naturally human beings do. And for a prolonged period of time, being under stress for a prolonged period of time is very, very difficult for the human being, right? We, we release all kinds of hormones like cortisol and, and others that everyone has heard of that, that do damage on the body. That being said, we also have redundant systems in our body to bring us back up to baseline. So really, like there's studies about you know, what it is to win a lottery, for example, and how elated people are. And yet after a period of time, they come back to baseline in their happiness and life satisfaction. Same thing is true for people that suffer traumas. After a period of time, they come back up to baseline because human beings are really resilient, right? Like when you break your arm, the bone heals stronger than what it was before. So what are the things that help us bring, help bring us back to baseline, as you were saying, or help us to, to do better, to, to flourish, or to re- recover from some of the trauma that people have gone through? What are those skills or strategies that we could all be, we could all yeah, be using? So, so there's lots of them. And you know, I guess what I would say, first of all, is that the stress, the burnout is really about managing your energy, mm-hmm. right? Because that sense of isolation or a sense of uncertainty or a sense of lack of autonomy puts a load on you in terms of how much energy you're, you're spending, how much energy your body's putting towards or your mind is putting towards these thoughts. And so being really aware of where you're putting your energy is really important. And energy is a choice. 
So it's about what you choose to project. And that's, that's really hard when you don't feel like getting out of bed in the morning. Right. So it is, it is a deliberate choice to get up. It is a deliberate choice to bring joy to the world. It is a deliberate choice to say who needs me on my A game today. Right? Decide to get dressed and get out of those pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, you know, so what I would say is don't check your emails first thing in the morning. Because when you have 300 okay. emails coming in, it already feels overwhelming. It already feels like it's too much. Do something that empowers you first thing in the morning. And whatever that is, maybe for you, it's like going for a run or it's yoga or it's meditation or it's sitting, having a coffee or whatever, right? Like one of the reasons we know that, that the, the levels of depression and anxiety reduced over the summer was because people got out in nature. How do you want to show up in the world? Right. Are you choosing to throw yourself from your bed to your couch or are you choosing to be alive and choosing okay. to be to have energy to bring joy to you know so think of think of what it is to walk into a room and someone's in the back corner really really angry mm-hmm. and you know a dark you cloud feel, you can feel that energy you don't even need to you don't even need them to say anything right you can feel what that is Imagine walking into a room and someone is joyful and excited that you're there. And what does that feel like? This conversation sort of um, reminds me of how I would describe when I was talking to a student teacher, you know, I would talk about how your enthusiasm for the subject, you know, you might be teaching something that your class is not really all that excited about. But if you are enthusiastic about that, it can be really infectious. And it seems to me that that's sort of a similar uh, message that you're trying to you're trying to get across here. Totally, absolutely. So emotions are infectious, right? right? So how much energy you bring to the table affects everyone else around you. I think it's interesting. Um, I was talking to a girlfriend of mine a couple of weeks back and she was talking about this course that she took through the Yale called the science of well-being. And it's a free course offered on course Coursera. And they say that it is the most popular course in the more than three century history of Yale. It's the most popular course they've ever offered. So I guess my question then is, do you think when so many people are so interested in, you know, what they can do to bring more joy to their lives, to bring more uh, happiness to their lives or satisfaction maybe is even the better term, I don't know. But so do you think that there is an increase in the use of positive psychology strategies to address the challenges of the pandemic or just in general in people's lives? Oh, I think there's no question that positive psychology has really taken off in the last 10 years. It's, it's become um, a well-known field among psychologists mm-hmm. and others. And a lot of people are starting to adopt, to adopt the strategies. 
So, you know, for example, one of the strategies that is very common in positive psychology to increase positive mood or positive emotion is the three, three good things. And so you think of the idea is that you write down three good things that happened to you that day and how you brought them about. How, how did, what did you do to create that scenario, right? Of these three good things. And so what it does is really, it, it gets you to focus on what's good rather than everything that's negative. Because what the research shows is that 80% of our thoughts are negative thoughts. And most of that, half of that is stuff that has happened in the past or things that maybe might happen in the future. But 85% of our worry thoughts, like what we worry about, what if, what if, what if, never happen at all. So we are trapped in all of this negativity without even realizing what our thoughts are about. Right. And so so it's really interesting that you talk about that because it really connects back to the construction of constructed view of emotion. Right. And if you're trying to uh, change some of those predictions that your brain is making about um, emotion, focusing more on some of these positive things increases the development of the concepts of those different things, which increases the likelihood that your brain would predict from those, use, use those concepts to pre, those for prediction. And so focusing on three good things is a, is a definite strategy, I would think that would work really well. Um, one of the things that we know that is difficult is people perseverating on negative things because that just increases the brain's prediction of those negative things. That's the great. more you think about it, it's like it's as though that you're experiencing that thing all over again, right? And it just it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't increase the likelihood of thinking about something more positive in the you know in the end. That's a really really fantastic point, Annalisa, because our brain doesn't know the difference between what's actually happening and what we imagine is happening. And so when you imagine that negative thing happening over and over and over again, the body physically reacts as if it is happening over and over and over again, right? And so to be able to switch that loop to let's think about what the possibilities are, get curious. You know, there's there's a huge difference between saying, oh my God, what if that happens? And wow, what if that happens? Right. One is one is all about hopelessness and one is about possibility. Right. So if we have a growth mindset, if we are looking at possibility and we are in curiosity, what if that happened? What would I do? Huh? How fascinating. Awesome. Right. That's a totally different turn. It, Sorry, it totally, it, it is, you're right, it is. But at the same time, when you're dealing with a lot of really difficult, difficult, difficult things, and you feel sort of like maybe you're drowning in it, what advice would you give somebody when they are really struggling in that way? Because it's really, it, it seems, in sometimes it seems like it would be almost impossible to just turn it around and go, well, why, well, let's look at it in a totally different way because. Yeah, I absolutely. The difficulties are so hard. You know what? 
sometimes life is really difficult. Sometimes it's downright miserable. And, right. and positive psychology is not saying that this is a happyology and you should just be happy all the time. Positive psychology says, yeah, I get it. This is really, really hard. And how do you struggle well? How do you ah. look at the stress and manage it before it becomes distress? And that, okay, so what, these are what all, these are all parts of human emotion, right? Like it, what it is to be human, we are going to struggle. We are going mm -hmm. to go through adversity. We are going to have, you know, sometimes terrible things happen. Sometimes really hard things happen and we need to get through them and to know that you can, right? I mean, mm -hmm. where, where trauma happens is when we feel like we can't get through it. It's too much for us, right? Stress is about feeling like we don't have the tools to manage. And so what's the story you're telling yourself? I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't get through this. You know, I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I... You know what I mean? Like, whatever the story is for you, often that story is, I'm not enough. I can't do this, right? And so it's, it's really being aware of the stories you're telling yourself. It's honoring the struggle that you're in because it is hard. And having some self-compassion to say, yeah, you know what? I get it. What would you tell your best friend if you were going through this? Would you beat them up and give them all the negative self-talk that you're giving yourself? Or would you put your arms around her and say, yeah, you know what? I get it. I get it that this is really hard and, and I'm here with you. And sometimes I that's enough. I sometimes find too what ha what's helpful to me when I've gone through really difficult things is what am I learning from this? What am I going to take away from this so that I can use it as a tool? It's hard. It's really horrible. And I can't wait for it to be over. But what am I learning for next time? And I think um, that's often what I've told my students when they've been struggling. What are you learning for next time? I know I've told my, my, my daughters this, you know, when they're going through something difficult, I understand. I feel badly for you, but what are you learning to take away from this? Because every experience can be a learning experience so that you can grow. Right. And so I would say that that is part of the growth mindset is to be able to say to yourself or to others, when you are going through something really, really difficult, if the world was giving you a gift right now, what would it be? If, mm -hmm. you know, what can you take away? What can you learn? How are you going to grow? Because adversity is where we grow the most as human beings. We become mm -hmm. stronger. We become more confident when we've achieved challenging situations. Right. right? And so if, when you're looking at this as a challenge um, rather than an obstacle, that shift in mindset means everything. So if this is a challenge and I know I can't fail, where am I going to go with this? Right. 
I, it sort of reminds me of that uh, little a little slogan or saying that I saw somewhere. What would you do if you weren't afraid? Exactly. Right. I think another thing too, that helps us, uh, we go, going back to self care, you were talking about, um, and that really reminded me a lot of, um, the body budget and allostasis, right. And when we talk about, you know, the brain's predicting nature, it takes the information from the body as well as the information from the surrounding and it, then it makes a prediction. And sometimes that prediction is one of emotion, but it, I think part of that is it's taking that information from the body. And so you talked about getting good sleep, new, you know, proper nutrition, getting some exercise because all of those things play into our body budget. Right. And that impacts our, the way we feel. I'll give you an example. Like if if you haven't had, let's say um, you're 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 getting you're quite hungry and you have to have a conversation with someone and it's going maybe maybe it's a little contentious, you know, and you find yourself having a really difficult time managing your emotions because you're starting to feel really upset. That whole thing could be different if maybe you had eaten your lunch before you had that conversation, right? Because your body is getting that information saying, I'm really hungry. I'm really hungry. I'm really hungry. And it changes the predictive nature of the brain. So we all do those things where we say or do things that we maybe wouldn't have done if we had more rest, if we had eaten a, a, eaten a meal, you know, and aren't really hungry or, or thirsty or all those sorts of things, things that we notice uh, when you're taking care of a, a child. Those are some of those things when a child is having a meltdown. Those are some of the things a caregiver or a parent immediately notices. Gosh, they haven't had their nap. Gosh, they, you know, haven't had lunch yet or they must be must be a little hungry. So we give them a snack and they feel a little bit better. So certain things about our body, we kind of we can push ourselves to a point where that does impact how we feel about about what's going on. And we have some level of control over what we can do about that in terms of, as you mentioned, getting out into nature, making sure we get good sleep, trying not to eat that bag of chips on the sofa, right? (laughs) You know, Um, having an apple instead and going for a walk. Some of those things help us. I know that seems simplistic. Well, I think, you know, I agree with you that I think for many people, it's been, it's been hammered home so many times they don't hear it anymore. And yet it is so, so, so important. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so part of the stress response is that, you know, our body gets ready to run. It, it pumps energy into our muscles. Our heart rate rises, our blood pressure rises, everything goes to the muscles, digestion shuts down, the immune system shuts down, like we're getting ready to run. And so part of the reason exercise is so important when you are going through stress is because you finish the stress cycle, right? So your body's ready to run and then you don't do anything with it. And then it's just vibrating, right? It needs to do something. So any exercise you can do when you're feeling stressed finishes that stress cycle and then brings you back to homeostasis. We see that with animals, you know, 
they get all riled up and then you see them running around the yard, like the dog, right? Or the the squirrel that runs up the tree or yeah. the bird that ends exactly. up having to take flight. It, animals do that. So you and need to, we, you need to finish that stress response. And, you know, another thing about sleep that people don't understand is that sleep actually is when you heal your body. It's when you're, you, when you heal your brain and the, and, and, the body gets what it needs first, and then the brain comes after. So the longer you sleep, the more you heal and rejuvenate uh, your brain. Because the body, mm -hmm. like the heart, the lungs, like keys, that's going to get all of that energy first. The brain actually gets it last. So if you're only sleeping four hours, your brain doesn't get what it needs to actually solidify information to put it in memory properly to neurogenerate to do all the things like the, the repair and all of that that your body that your brain needs and so the longer you that that eight hours of sleep is really really important like we're not just making that stuff up right we're saying but people don't understand they're just saying oh yeah okay i get sleep yeah i need to sleep i need to sleep but but actually if you don't sleep your brain's not getting what it needs so you're not going to function with focus, with accuracy, with memory, with mm -hmm. creativity, right? Like you're just not going to be able to do it as well as if you got that sleep. So if you can't get eight hours, take a nap in the middle of the day. A 15 minute nap is amazing for the body, amazing for the brain. There's, there's actually like high, high, high performing companies now that are putting nap rooms like Google putting nap rooms in their facilities so that people can get those naps because they need them and it, and it works, right? And so when we're talking about self-care, yes, self-care self is important in terms of, you know, sleep, in terms of the nutrition that you take into your body, the exercise that you're getting, the positive energy that you're putting forward, all of that stuff. Right. I think um, that it's difficult, as, as you mentioned, you know, we hear, we've heard so much about it that we kind of ignore it. I think it's hard also to communicate this information to teens because they, I mean, and I don't mean to generalize, but I think that helping to motivate um, young people when they are feeling such effects and not feeling like they are, they feel disengaged. They aren't able to hang out with their friends. They have to had to have beyond online for school. They haven't been able to socialize in the way in which they were wanting to. I think that some of those things have been really, really hard on young people and uh, because they're also going through development, right? They're learning how to do a lot of these things that now have been, they, those opportunities have been curtailed. So what kinds of strategies would you suggest, you know, for younger people who are really struggling with being isolated and not being able to hang out with their friends in the ways in which they were to now having to go back into the classroom and with all the anxiety and concern that 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 some of that also entails. 
Yeah, that's a really, that's a really tough one, I think, because it, you're right, it is really hard. It is really hard. And so I guess, you know, what I look at when I'm when I'm coaching younger adults and teens is, is to really dive into, you know, first of all, what's the story you're telling yourself? And what story would you like to be telling yourself? So if you are the author of your story, you get to choose how it ends. Mm-hmm. And how do you want it? How do you want the story to go? What do you want right. to live up to? How do you want to feel? How do you want to be? What does your best self look like in this situation? Right? Because it is hard. Mm-hmm. Let's not let's not skirt around the fact that this is really hard and honor the courage it takes to show up. Right. So, well, and then I, I and think... then I would say, what what brings you joy? What energizes you? What what activities or things do you do that just make you feel like a rock star? Do a lot of that. Do a lot of that. Play a little air guitar. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like when you're feeling at your best, when you feel like you've just nailed it, it hardly matters what you're not good at anymore. So go for the things that empower you. Go for the things that make you feel like you're a rock star. Go for the things that you shine. And then when you do that, you'll learn how to take pieces of that to master more things and to gain confidence in other areas. Well, Andrea, I think we have given a lot of good suggestions. Well, you have given a lot of great suggestions for our listeners. And I hope that we can continue the conversation. I think we're going to be allowing people to ask questions, make comments on Facebook, and uh, hopefully, you know, we'll be able to answer some of them and give people more support because I think that going into this coming school year, I think there's a lot of teachers, a lot of students, a lot of parents who are really can really benefit by some of the strategies that positive psychology brings and just to help um, make the school year um, the best that it can be for sure. Especially after such a challenging couple of school years where kids have really struggled, this could be maybe we're, able to use some of these strategies to really improve our lives, which is the whole goal, right? Absolutely. Great. Thank you so much, Andrea, for taking the time to talk with us today. I really appreciate you taking the time. Oh, it's my honor. I'm so excited to be here, Annalisa. This is fun. (laughs) It was fun. If any of our listeners would like to learn more about or would like to work with Andrea, visit her website at yourbestlifecoach.ca. We'll also list it on our website at pazprogram.com slash podcast. If our listeners would like to continue the conversation about this topic, please find us on Facebook under Paz Program. Feel free to ask questions on the podcast episode. We'll answer them and we may feature the answers in future Facebook live videos. Please join us next time when we talk with Matt Pembleton, high school arts teacher, about how art can help deal with strong emotions. Thank you again for listening to Social Emotional Us. Today, we talked about maintaining our body budget, which is integrated into our Emozi SEL program for middle and high school. 